And I know some of you, you you're holding it in. And I'm going to watch you because partway out to the car afterwards, you're going to start dancing because it's got to come out eventually. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's always fun when your kids get to the point where they're at the age where they start worrying about mom and dad and, and oh, uh, maybe a year or two ago when that came out. Mary Lou and I were on the motorcycle one day and that song and we were playing, the speakers were up loud because I like loud. And, uh, and so that song comes up and I was telling my son this, Mary Lou, I, I said, you know, I can actually make the motorcycle dance a little bit. We did a little bit up. And my son said, yeah, please don't do that, Dad. So I don't know. So we're going to talk about happiness this morning because, uh, you know, it, it is one of those things that it seems to elude us. You know, we get glimpses of it and then it, it disappears. And, and we're going to talk about maybe a little bit of uh, why that is and try to get perspective on what God had in mind concerning this issue. Before we do, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. Thanks for your desire. You want us to be happy. Now, we'll talk about uh, where it is on your priority scale. It may not be quite as high as ours, but, but the reality is you want your, your kids to celebrate. You want them to, to rejoice. You want them to have reason to party and, and dance and enjoy life. And, and, Lord, we just don't get enough of that. And there's reasons for that, and I think there's an indication of what that is in the scripture we're going to look at today. So, so with that in mind, we ask you to kind of walk us through this time, get our hearts in tune to your mind about these things, and uh, I pray that uh, you'll, you will keep me on track and use my words to help encourage our hearts. I just pray these things in the, your son's name. Amen. I read a story a, a while back that uh, kind of is one of those that just gave me pause. I don't know if it's a true story. I can't remember for sure. It sounded true. But it's about two uh, older gentlemen that had both ended up in a nursing home. Both were uh, bedridden. They, they, without just uh, considerable help, they just could not get out of the bed. And, and they're in the same room, and, and uh, uh, in this particular room they're in, uh, the, the way it was configured, there was one window in the room, but only one bed could be by the window. And uh, so only one person could be by it. And, and these guys, you know, because they're, they're with each other 24-7, and they were really becoming very good friends, shared, you know, their hopes, their dreams, and, and life's disappointments. They were really close and, and shared some really deep things that they, maybe they had never shared with anyone else. And, and periodically, uh, the man who was on the, the bed that was by the window, he would kind of prop himself up on his elbow and as uh, they were visiting, and he would try peek out the window, and then he would describe for his uh, roommate, what was going on outside since he was the only one that could see and depending on the time of year sometimes he would describe uh, flowering trees and just green grass and or, or sometimes it'd be the hue of, of the yellows and the golds and and one time he described how he saw some kids there was a park across the street and he saw some kids playing and he was telling about the kids and and even one time a parade he was describing a parade that he could see off in the distance that was going by and and just it was just a, a real enjoyable time as they would kind of talk about what he was seeing and and uh, they were just really doing well until one day one day this thought popped into the head of the man who was not by the window why should he get to bed by the window why does he get to see out the window and I don't why do I have to hear him describe for me what's going on outside the window and that thought persisted. Uh, and, and 
his roommate began to notice it. There was a little bit of brooding going on, and, and he didn't say why, of course. Uh, he didn't wouldn't verbalize that out loud, but but he could tell. You know, his, his, the the man in the other bed was often very starting to be very solemn and sad. He was worried about him. In fact, sometimes trying to to bring him out of it, he would, and it was effort. He'd push himself back up and start describing without without the window, and that obviously didn't help. But he didn't know why. He just knew that. It just, this man was getting in a deeper and deeper and darker and darker position. His, and soon the conversations between them were rare, and, and it was like he, there was not a man in the room with them. And, and then one night in the middle of the night, the, the man who had the bed that was away from the window was awakened by he, hearing his roommate gasping for air. And as he looked over uh, in his, at his roommate, he noticed that he had reached for his call button, but in his panic, he had, he had managed to knock it loose from the bed and it was laying on the floor out of reach. And he instinctively grabbed his button and was just about to push the button and call the nurse. And he stopped. If he dies, I might be able to get the, window by the, the bed by the window. And then he laid the button down and laid there in silence hearing his friend gasping for air until it stopped. The next morning, the uh, nurses came in and and they removed the body from his room. And when he felt it was appropriate, he put in his request. He liked the bed by the window. And so the day came, they moved all his belongings over to that side of the room and moved him over to the bed. And and, uh, he waited impatiently. He wanted everybody out of the room before he did what he'd been waiting to do was see his look out the window and so finally they all left and as soon as the door shut he began to struggle to push himself up to get his first look out the window for himself and as he peeked out the window to his horror he discovered that he looked out on a brick wall all that time his friend was simply trying to bring some joy into his life by describing what wasn't there but what could have been and, and it dawned on him that that was gone you know happiness is, is such a complicated and fragile thing isn't it we, we want it we, we have a desire in fact I, I honestly believe part of that desire is, is created within you and I you know, one of, one of my favorite authors, and I don't know if you've ever read him, uh, C.S. Lewis. He, he has passed away a number of years ago now. In fact, he passed away, uh, I think, the same year I was born. But, but his writings continue on. And, you know, C.S. Lewis, if you know anything about his history, a brilliant man, just a brilliant mind. Uh, kind of started young in his life. He, he, he had determined that he was an atheist. He didn't believe there was a God. And, and then, because of his brilliance uh, and because of his ability to kind of look at things, he, he began to change his position and eventually started calling himself an, an agnostic. There must be a God out there. There just seems to be evidence. And then the day came when he actually said, no, there's a God. He's personal. And I, need to, I need to get to know him. And he became a follower of Christ. And, and uh, uh, he says, and I love, one, one of the phrases in one of his books was that within every individual there is a God-shaped vacuum. And, you know, so, so I think we spend our life, and whether you are in a personal relationship with God, and, and that's what God's offer is, 
his desire is uh, to have a restored relationship with us. What broke the relationship was our sin. Sin, by definition, is simply choosing to do things that are contrary to the will of God. And, and it's not like God is this, you know, this, uh, this uh, angry rule, bre- rule, keeper, rule maker up there. So he makes these rules just so that when we break them, he can come down. Now, now whatever, whatever his will is for us, it's because by his design, and he knows he designed us, he knows what will bring blessing into our life. So he wants us to follow this path so we can experience that blessing. And, and so we're, we're constantly looking for that. And, and if you are, uh, are in this room in a live day, you know that challenge. You, you, every one of us has been on that pursuit, that pursuit of happiness, pursuit of something that will, that will bring this thing into my life that I'm looking for, and, and that satisfaction and, and C.S. Lewis says it's, it's a God-shaped faction. And so and set, and, until it becomes wrapped up in God, you always sense that need. And even as Christians, you know, we, we come to that relationship, we accept that forgiveness God's offering, that restored relationship, but it doesn't take us long often to get off track. And still going back to thinking, you know, the lottery or whatever it is, that if I just had, if this was just a part of my life, if that person would just love me, then, then I'd be happy and and Lewis says, no, it's, it's shaped like God, and it won't happen until he's where it's focused on. And I think we're going to see some evidence, and, and also evidence of why this is such a battle for us. Because, you know, we read, and, and it seems like it's more often. I don't know if that's the case, but it seems like every couple of weeks now we get this, you know, in the news, some, some rich and famous person takes their life. And, and, and often, here's, here's what I hear people say. They're surprised, and they'll say something like this. It seems like they had everything. Which is a real indication into our perspective of what brings happiness and the fact that it doesn't. Because you would be right. Those individuals, as far as the world's perspective, had everything, and yet it wasn't enough. And so we've got to ask ourselves that question. And sometimes we, you know, especially, you know, we say, well, we're, we have a little bit... Of, I have a better, I have a healthier perspective on what brings ha- happiness. Or, or in our circles as Christians, we'll say we have a more spiritual perspective, and we'll say something like this: Well, you know, as long as I have my health, or as long as my children are doing okay, walking with God, or, or my grandchildren are safe, whatever way. So, and we, and in our mind, that's a more, you know, it's not tied up in things and houses and clothes. It's tied up in relationships and health and. And so we'll say, then, then I would be happy. But you know, the reality is, I know lots of folks, including myself at times, that have those things going for me, and I still lose track of happiness. And then I know people that are going through just huge issues, lost their health, and yet somewhere in the midst of that state, they're happy. So none of that makes sense. And so... We're going to step into this passage today. I think that will help us sort, sort this out. And, and, and begin, I want to say, I know, I know our Declaration of, of Independence says that in, in our country, the pursuit of happiness uh, is, is one of our inalienable rights. I'm not sure if it's high on God's priority list as it is on ours sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong. It is high on his list. He does want us to be happy. But our problem is we've kind of arranged the things wrong, and, and so we've missed the thing that 
sets the stage for happiness, and I think that comes out in, in, in the passage today. So, so one of the things is, as uh, we step into this is... Uh, God's perspective of what will bring happiness and what will take it away is probably very different from ours. So I want us to, to dig in. We're going to, if you haven't already, go to Nehemiah chapter 12 uh, and uh, on your devices in your Bible because that's where we're going to, to, to spend our time this morning. And, and just let me, we're going to skip. Uh, we, after, we left off in, partway through chapter 11 last week. And we're jumping into about the middle of chapter 12 this week. And let me tell you why. Because that in-between stage that we're skipping past, that you can go back and read it, but basically what it is, it's a bunch of names and, and talking about the different positions that people are holding in the new, ter- in the new Jerusalem as they're, setting, as they're setting it up and rebuilding. And so we're kind of skipping by that. And we're skipping right down. We're going to step right into the middle because they're about to have a celebration, as we'll find out. So we're, we're starting here in Nehemiah chapter 12, at verse 27, and, and here's where we are. The, temp- the wall's been, we've kind of walked through this process with them as they've rebuilt this wall, finally got it rebuilt, and it says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals and harps and lyres. All right, so we're jumping into a middle of a dedication service, a celebration. And and, uh, we're going to get some clues as we look at parts of this celebration as to, I think, the secret of happiness, of lasting, sustainable happiness. Uh, we're going to find some things out in this passage. But, so we get into the celebration, and we find out it is a celebration. They're, they are going, they're going to have a party. I mean, they are excited. This is, this is party atmosphere. We'll, in fact, we'll talk about it. This is not, this is loud and proud. I just want you to know. You know, you did pretty good. You kept yourself calm when that song was playing. But they're not trying to do that at all. We'll see that in a moment. And, and we find out some details. For one thing, they've invited the Levites. They want them to be a part of the party. Okay, so, so they've invited the preachers. Now, I know how this goes, okay? You're, you're planning a party, and you're working on the guest list, and somebody says, well, should we invite the preacher? And someone says, well, you know, Uncle Ralph tells those jokes, and, and we really shouldn't laugh at them, but they're funny, and, but I'm not sure the pastor would appreciate that. So I don't know. And besides that, you know, there's some of our families going to come. They're not going to want just fruit punch. Uh, so, and you know how these parties, they get pretty, you know, let's do this. Next week, let's have fried chicken. Let's invite them over to the house for fried chicken because every preacher likes fried chicken, you know. So I know how that goes. But they're inviting the, the, the individuals who are supposed to lead them in worship and towards God. They want them to be a part of the party. And, and there's a reason. We're going to see that as, as we continue to walk through this uh, they're going to be part of, of, of who's at that. And they're going to, it's going to be a loud celebration. They're going to be singing, and, and there's going to be music and cymbals and harps. And, so, so it's, and it's going to be, we find out, it's, it's a time of great thanksgiving. There, it's happiness and thanksgiving because those kind of tend to go together. It's, it's all wrapped up together. And, and so we've got to think about, okay, so why are they so happy? Why are they so, so thankful? Well, we said, well, it's because the wall's done. You know, and it's kind of like, you know, they got these nice homes and, and nice, you know, these nice lawns, and they, uh, you know, they got that new car in the garage, 
and they've been waiting to get the security system installed. And so finally, that's been installed, and so they can relax now and just they can have a party and celebrate. Nobody's going to come in and take their stuff or mess with their stuff. And so that's why they're celebrating, because they're, they're, everything kind of is in place in life now. They got all everything just exactly why, the way they want it. Okay, well, let's look into that. But first, let me kind of set the scenario. Let's say, okay, let's say that, uh, you know, uh, next Sunday, I, I make an announcement. And, and next Sunday, I say, okay, after the second service, I'm making this announcement both services. I said, first service, people, I want you to come back because after the second service, I, I, we're going to do something. And uh, so I need everybody there. So, so everybody does. They all show up at the end. And, and so I say, okay, let's go out, and we're going to line up on the wall. So, so all you, everybody lines up. And, uh, and so then I start counting off. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 9, 10. All the way through till we're all done. And then I say, okay, if you are number 10, I want you to step forward. And so, you know, all the 10 step forward. And say, okay, got a surprise for you. You know, there's this one little section of, of Grand Island that's just, you know, it's falling apart. Crime rate is just really intense. You don't go down there at night. And, and uh you know, it's a terrible place. You wouldn't want to raise your children there. All the houses are, are just, they're, they're falling apart around the people. And so here's what we, all you number 10s, here's what the leadership of, of True North Church had decided. We want you now today to go home, pack up all your belongings, put your house on the market, and we want you to move down there because, you know, we have a heart for our community. And uh, so we want you to represent us and sell your stuff and move, move out into that section of town. How do you think that would do for uh, attendance at our church? I suspect those people would be looking around. Not only that, but the rest of you would too, because you'd think, what are those guys going to come up with next? Of course, you know, uh, on top of that, you know, you're saying, well, this isn't really fair. But let me show you exactly where this is coming from. Now, first of all, when we, did, when we started into this study, here's how we, we discovered this is what, where, the way Jerusalem was. You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. It's not just the wall that was a problem. The whole city is in ruins. This city is a pile of rubble. They've got the wall rebuilt now, but there is just, it's still a mess. And, and frankly, very few people live there, and the people that do, a lot of them aren't nice people. That's, we've seen that as we've walked through. And so here's what the leadership decides. Now, the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem. They did exactly what I'm saying. So, obviously, their perspective of reasons to celebrate, to be happy, to be thankful, isn't wrapped up in things or circumstances or what kind of a house they live in or what kind of a street they live on or how things are going as far as their salary or any of those kind of things because a large portion of them are going to leave all that, the nice house, the nice lawn, the, you know, the fancy car in the garage, they've left it behind and they're going to move into the midst of destruction and yet they're happy. They're partying. They're celebrating. And so obviously from their perspective it's not wrapped up in those things. And it's yours and my perspective, too, although we keep getting fooled because, you know, we, you've done it, I've done it, too. If, if you've said this, uh, if I just had, then I'd be happy. And then you have it, and you're happy for, you know, briefly. 
And then it was, if I just had, or if I, you know, and, and, and so we've discovered that it is not those things, except we keep, keep falling right back into that perspective. Of it. It's the next thing. It's the next level of salary. It's the next whatever it is. They've discovered it has nothing to do with those things. They're celebrating. They're thankful. They're happy in spite of the fact that uh, they still got a lot that has to be done. And things are really pretty much still in destruction. The wall's been rebuilt, but there is just tons more to do. In fact, it says that they are celebrating joyfully. Joyfully, and interesting, here's what, as I investigated the word, which I like to do, joyfully means with gaiety. We don't even use that word anymore, you know, <laughs> gaiety, what is that? Or, or gleefully, maybe, and, and so I was thinking, you know, what, what does gleefully mean? And i got to tell you, we adults don't do gleefully very well. You know, we kind of lost track. But, but I think because that's what the word means, we need to have a, a, a perspective of, okay, what is gleefully? The only way I could think to, to help us remember what gleefully is was... Uh, Maybe? Yeah, what's this? I'm trying to start it. If I can't get it there, put it back there. You know. catch your breath there's gleefully I, that's what we're talking about here you know uh and and that dad i gotta tell you in the background there's this really nice toy set he bought and he's thinking i bought her that i should have gave her a piece of paper what am i doing here uh, but so so there it is and these people in the midst of circumstances that that we would look at and say man there's really no reason for you to be partying for sure and then they are they're they're, they're partying why what is it that's going on well I think we see a clue in, in, the, in verse 30. They brought the, the Levites, the priests, together. So when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Here's one thing they discovered. What they discovered was that happiness, celebration, is not wrapped up in things, it's not wrapped up in circumstances, it, not, it is not wrapped up in what kind of house I live in, or what kind of job I have. It's not wrapped up in any of those things. It is wrapped up in where, if you are a follower of Christ, it's wrapped up in where you and I stand with God. That's what it is. I've said this before, and, and I say this from personal experience. There is no one, no one more miserable than a person who has stepped into a relationship with God based on what his son did on the cross, and now knows that they're not living the way they should. They're living in disobedience. They're living, they've gone a direction that they know. And, and, and let me tell you personally, there is nothing more visible than that. So they've discovered that the secret to satisfaction, happiness, peace, joy. You know, Paul talk, or, or Peter talks about this joy that even in the midst of grief, this perspective you can have, but they've discovered that it is not wrapped up in all this. It is wrapped up in where is my relationship with my God? Because if that's right, 
If I know that's where it's supposed to be, I'm happy. And nothing can steal that. Nothing can rob it. And some of you know that from experience. There, you've been in the midst. You, you, you have walked those paths. That, that, and people look at you and say, how, how can you be responding the way you are? How can you still be happy with this happening? And you know it's not about that. It, it is about knowing your God. And so that's what they've discovered. In fact, they've discovered a couple things. They've discovered that it's not about stuff or, or place or surroundings. Or they've discovered that, number one, it's about trusting God's plan. Now, they've seen God. We've walked through this with them. They've seen him time and time in the midst of circumstances that seemed like the end of the rope. This is going to be the thing that takes us down. And they've seen God over and over again take care of him. And they've learned to trust his plan. And, and you know, and I know, his plan doesn't always make a whole lot of sense to us. Some times he decides that something comes into our life and you're saying, boy, Lord, I don't, I don't get this. But Paul talks about a peace that surpasses understanding. That's simply saying there is this, once you get in this position where you know God's heart for you and you trust it, then it really doesn't matter what happens because you know he's already said, I will never allow anything in your life to come into your life that isn't for your blessing, for your betterment. And so these things come and you say, hey, God, don't know what you have in mind, but I trust you. I trust you. And they've discovered that if they're in right relationship with God, when they know their hearts are right for God and they're walking the way He wants them to walk, it really is not about anything else that's going on in life. Things are right and we know it. And so that's a secret that you and I need to know so we can celebrate and dance and sing. Even sometimes when we're in the midst of rubble, it can happen. And let me... Before I close and talk to God a little ourselves, let me just say again to you who may not be in that relationship yet, here's God's heart for you. He loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He has already said, I will forgive you for the thing that broke our relationship. And it was our, our decisions, our choices to go paths that were not his, disobey him. That's what sin is. So I want to forgive, <coughs> excuse me, forgive that. I want to adopt you into my family, and that adoption will last for eternity. I want to bless you. So if you're still hesitating, again, as I said last week, what are you waiting for? When you have a God like that who has that kind of a heart for you, what's holding you back? You've been looking for happiness for a long time. I've got to tell you, it's on the other side of that relationship, and that's the only place it is. So take a few moments. I just want you to have a quiet time between God and yourself and, and just talk to him about this issue of relationship and what it needs to be. And maybe you're kind of in one of those miserable times and you're saying, God, I know what it is. Help me make this right. Help me to get in the right relationship with you because I want that happiness that I'm longing for. And then I'll close this in prayer.
Father, the desire for happiness I don't think is a wrong desire. I think you have created it within us. We know that there's something that should be in our life, and, and we're looking for it. We want this satisfaction, this this reason to party, and I, and I think that is, as I said, created in us. But as these people learned, it has nothing to do with circumstances. It has nothing to do with bank accounts or houses or... It can be in the midst of rubble. As long as I know that, that I am in the right place with my God, I'm doing what pleases you, then there's a reason to celebrate. So thank you for that reminder this morning. And even this whole story, as we've followed, followed this adventure, this journey with these Israelites and with Nehemiah, and just seeing you time after time, show them clearly that you're there. You have not left him. You have not forsaken him. And you've made the same promise to us. So, Lord, I pray for us to be happy. And just thank you that that's your desire as well. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.